Well, we are considering seven core passages in the Gospels in which Jesus talks about faith. And as Brian's prayer reflected, we're not merely trying to accumulate more knowledge about faith. We actually want to become people who exercise deep faith, strong faith, uh, bold faith. Uh, if you were with us two weeks ago, we looked at Matthew 14 and we saw how Jesus diagnosed Peter as a man of relatively little faith. He said, oh, you of Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt me? And so that was one passage. Today, by contrast, we're going to look at a passage in which Jesus was, quote, amazed at somebody's faith. He said of the centurion, he said, this man has great faith. And so as we prepare to go to our passage today in Luke 7, I, w- I would just have you consider, uh, have you, has the thought ever crossed your mind that God wants you to be a person of great faith? Have you ever entertained the possibility that Jesus might look at your thoughts, listen to your prayers, look at your actions, and be amazed at your faith, that he might marvel at your faith? I would submit, I've become convinced from Scripture, that if you're a follower of Christ, you not only can, but you should become a person of great faith. This, this is the norm in the Christian life. We should, as a people, as a body, and as individuals, be people of great faith. And I think we're going to see that it's really very simple. It's not easy, but it's really very simple, and I'll give you a hint. It doesn't come from looking at yourself, okay? This great faith comes from looking at Jesus and this confidence in who he is. And so today we look at Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. We're going to look at the centurion. He is described as a man of great faith. And if you're a person who tends to think, you know, I'm, I'm a very unlikely person. It's highly unlikely that I would ever have great faith. I hope you're encouraged by the centurion because he definitely would have fallen into that category. He was a Gentile. Uh, He was part of an occupying army in in Israel, and yet he was a man of great faith. But we're in Luke 7, verse 1 sets the context. He says, when Jesus had completed all his discourse, and that's a a reference to the Sermon on the Mount as it's recorded in in, uh, Luke 6, when he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And Capernaum was a, a small fishing village on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, archaeologists estimate that the population was about 1,500 people. And so uh, uh, in verse 2, Luke describes the scenario that revealed the centurion's faith uh, as he lived in that city. And a centurion's slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. And so a centurion was an, ar- uh, an officer in the Roman army, would have been a non-commissioned officer. He would have been in charge of about 100 men, uh, and, and he would have been a Gentile. He would have been non-Jewish. And so in, the centurion, his men, had been deployed to Capernaum, and in a town that size, the presence of 100 uh, Roman soldiers would have been quite an imposing force, right? Well, Luke mentions that this centurion had a slave who was sick and about to die. And sometimes, certainly uh, sometimes slaves were treated as property and and expendable, uh, but not this slave. This centurion had compassion on this this slave. Uh, He was highly regarded by him. He thought so much of, of this man that he was willing to do anything within his power to help him recover. Verse 3, when he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. 
And so he had heard about Jesus. Uh, we know that Jesus did many miracles in Capernaum. And so there would have been a buzz about this traveling rabbi. Uh, it may well be that, G- that uh, the centurion was familiar with uh, the miracle we talked about last week, where these four men brought their, their friend who was a paralytic, and they lowered him down, and Jesus healed this man. And so the centurion had heard all of this. And, uh, and, and, and so he sends some Jewish elders, they would have been uh, leaders in the Jewish community in Capernaum, to ask Jesus to come and save the life of his slave. And so what we see very simply is that this man had confidence that Jesus could heal his servant. In other words, this man had faith, okay? He was a man who had faith. And in verses 4 and 5, read how these Jewish elders appealed to Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him. They pleaded with Jesus. Uh, They implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. And so they appealed to Jesus on the basis of this man's character and on the basis of this man's track record. They said, this man is worthy. And I don't think there was anything wrong with what they said. This is just an expression of, of uh, they wanted, they respected this man. And so they said, Jesus, he's worthy to, to do what he's asking. Uh, number one, even though he's a centurion and he's part of the occupying army, this army that occupies our country, he's not our enemy. And number two, even though he's not Jewish, he's for us. He helped build our synagogue. He helped fund the building of this synagogue. So he's worthy for you to come and do what he's asking. Please come and heal uh, his slave. And Jesus was persuaded, and you find this throughout the Gospels. When people ask Jesus for something, he said, of course, sure. I mean, it's just undeniably the pattern. And they started, he started making this trek to the centurion's house. But when he had almost arrived, a second delegation that was sent by the centurion met him. Verse 6. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far, uh, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Isn't that fascinating? Whereas the the Jewish authorities, their evaluation was, Jesus, this man is worthy. When the centurion was talking about himself, he said, I am not worthy for you to come under my, under my roof. And he explains, that's why I didn't come to you in person to begin with, because, uh, because uh, you're not worthy to come, I'm not worthy for you to come under my, my roof. And I don't think this is a matter of poor self-esteem or a, a low self-image. I think this is humility. I think this man understood, I'm not even in the same league as Jesus. He is so morally and, and spiritually superior to me. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, I'm not worthy for him to come under my roof. And so since he had no claim on Jesus, he was asking, strictly asking for grace. He was strictly asking for mercy. And it's worth pointing out that not everybody who would say, I am not worthy, has faith. Okay? So some people will say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of Jesus. I've blown it so often, so much that I shouldn't ask anything of Jesus. And so they have no faith, no confidence that Jesus will do anything for them. 
But that's not the attitude of the centurion, is it? He said, I'm not worthy, but I'm still going to ask because that's what Jesus does. He gives grace. He gives mercy. And so I'm going to ask him to act on my behalf. And so this centurion had great faith, great confidence in Jesus and his willingness to give even to someone who isn't worthy. And so in this classic line, he says, just say the word and my servant will be healed. He believed that a word spoken by Jesus would accomplish the healing of his servant. It's amazing. And as we see in the, in the subsequent verses, verse, beginning of verse 8, he explains himself further. And it turns out that the centurion understood Jesus' authority. And I would describe authority as appropriate power. A lot of people have power. A bully has power but he doesn't have authority. He might force somebody to do something, but that's not authority. Authority is where you have legitimate power. And those of you who are, are in the military, who've served in the military, you're going to understand this a lot better than I do, but the centurion relates the authority of Jesus to his only experience of power, of authority, the authority he lived under and the authority that he exercised. And, uh, This is what he says in verse 8. For I also, this is why he believed Jesus could just say the word and it would, would happen. He says, for I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. And so he understood authority from two vantage points. First of all, I'm a man under authority. And he says, when my commander tells me something, he just says the word. I do it, no questions asked. That's the way authority. He says, and I have men under me, and I exercise authority over them. If I say to one of them, go, guess what he does? He goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this. Guess what? He does it. And the the centurion believed that Jesus had that type of authority over the sickness of his slave. All Jesus had to do was say the word and it would happen. So Jesus didn't have to come and, and examine him in person and do a full you know, medical, medical write-up. He didn't have to wave his hands. He didn't have to you know, pronounce some incantations. All he had to do was say the word and it would happen. He believed that Jesus had that type of authority. And notice how Jesus evaluated the centurion, just from what, what he had, had sent through these, these friends. He evaluates his authority, his understanding of authority as great faith. Verse 9, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and he said to the crowd who was following him. He noticed this and he wanted to tell somebody. He turned and said to them, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great Faith. I think you'll agree with me that if Jesus marvels at somebody, that's a big deal, right? Jesus is not easily impressed. The word is often translated amazed. It's found 43 times in the New Testament. And in almost every occurrence, this word refers to other people marveling or other people being amazed at Jesus. They were amazed at his teaching. They hadn't heard anybody that taught the way Jesus did. They were amazed that he cast demons out of people. They were amazed at how he could heal people. But twice we're told that Jesus marveled. Uh, Once is in Mark 6, he marveled at the unbelief of the people in his hometown. He was amazed that they had so little faith. But here in Luke 
Luke uh, 7, 9, it says that Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion. Finally, finally somebody got it. They understood who Jesus was and the type of authority he exercised. He said, amazing, amazing. And he makes a comment. He said, not in all of Israel have I found anyone with such faith. And you would have expected that people living in a covenant relationship with God, those are the people that would have had uh, the, the greatest faith, right? They had the, the covenant, they had the promises, they had the scriptures, they had the prophets. When God showed up in the flesh, they, among every, above everybody else, should have said, there he is, that's the God we've worshipped all these, these centuries. But they didn't. But this Gentile, this, this centurion, uh, he had greater faith than anybody that Jesus had found in Israel. And in verse 10, we see the effect of the centurion's faith. His faith moved the hand of God. That's why we're teaching on faith this summer. Faith moves the hand of God. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. And this is consistent. We find it over and over in the scriptures, in the gospels. Jesus would say to someone, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Faith moves the hand of God, and faith is most naturally expressed in prayer. Prayer is a way we express our faith to God. And so faith is confidence in the person and the character of God. And when we have faith, we believe things about God that are revealed in Scripture. And so one of the many, many, many reasons why we encourage you to read the Scripture is because it will build your faith. It will give you, uh, it will give you fuel for your faith to grow. And so it's, it's legitimate to ask of every passage, what does this passage teach me about God, and how does that inform my faith? How can that give me more confidence that God actually does have authority to work on my behalf? And if we ask that question of this passage, we would say, well, the answer to that question here is that great faith is always appropriate. Why? Because Jesus always has all authority. Great faith is always appropriate because Jesus always has all authority. You know, honestly, I can't remember a time in the life of this church. I've been here 29 years uh, this week, actually. Uh, I can't remember a time in the life of this church when there have been so many people going through so many difficult, painful, sometimes traumatic experiences. I just, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. And I, I realize it's a very subjective thing to try to quantify pain and suffering. And I really don't know what, it, what most of you are going through. I just, I just don't. But some of you are facing things that are far beyond your control. You're not going to fix your situation by trying harder, being more responsible, um, just by, by figuring it out. You need God to work. That, that's the only solution. That's, that's the only way that the situation is going to be addressed. That's the only way that you're going to make it. And it's all, a whole variety of things. It's, for some of you, it's issues related to your health, physical, mental, spiritual, uh, emotional health. You need healing. Uh, for others of you, it's relationships, relationships that really matter to you are strained or broken. And it brings you a type of grief that nothing else has ever brought to you. Uh, for some of you, it's a life-dominating sin. And it's not just a matter of deciding, okay, I'm going to start behaving myself. No, you, you need something uh, beyond that. You need a, a touch of God. You need power in the spiritual battle. 
For some of you, it's financial stress. You look at the future and you don't know how you're going to make it. And then for all of us, there's all these issues. They're just floating in the air. There's all these, these issues happening in our country and in our world. There's the political strife that we, we're experiencing in this, this country. Uh, and then there's, there's most of us who know Christ. We are just deeply burdened for somebody to experience the life, the salvation that only Jesus can bring. Today's passage would have you answer the question, in the situation that troubles you, do you believe... Do you really believe that Jesus has authority in your situation? Or if you were honest, do you really believe, no, actually my situation is beyond his reach. He can't quite reach in and act. See, the point here is that if you don't believe Jesus has authority in your situation, you can't exercise faith, at least not great faith. And if you don't have faith you're going to hinder God from working in your life. God responds to faith. Faith moves the hand of God. Now, I have to say this, and please believe me when I say this. I don't at all believe that every trial can be traced back to a lack of your faith. And I've witnessed firsthand the pain of one Christian telling another Christian, well, if you just had greater faith, everything would be fine. You wouldn't be in this mess you're in. Uh, that is not true. The, the, the whole tenor of Scripture suggests that we should be very, very cautious from ever making a pronouncement like that. Your problem is that you don't have enough faith. Uh, we can exhort one another. We share Christo, uh, Scripture with each other. We, we encourage each other. But we avoid putting ourselves in the place of God. God alone knows the human heart. God alone understands all the circumstances and all the dynamics that have gotten you to where you are, okay? And so we need to be very cautious. There's no place for standing in the, in the, the, the place of God and making those types of pronouncements, okay? I hope you believe me on that. And so we don't want to say more than Scripture says. At the same time, we don't want to say less than Scripture says. And I think Scripture is nevertheless very clear that sometimes... Sometimes a lack of faith is why God hasn't moved. A lack of faith is what hinders God from acting in certain circumstances. In Matthew 13, 58, we read that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown. Why? Because of their unbelief, because they, they had this lack of faith. And I know people, you probably know people too, you may actually be one of these people I'm about to describe, but people who have experienced so many accumulated disappointments and, 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 uh, and have been so beaten down by their lives that instead of this vibrant faith where they're trusting God, they basically say, you know, God will do what God will do. You know, it doesn't matter whether we're people of faith and obedience and whether we're people of prayer, God will do what God will do. And there's just this despondency. That is not what the Bible describes. The Bible actually says that sometimes you do not have because you do not ask. It's in James 4. And sometimes it's our faith that hinders God from doing what he really wants to do. If the centurion hadn't asked Jesus, we have no indication that that's his slave would have been healed. 
God responds to people who have faith, who have confidence in him, who really believe that Jesus has authority over everyone and everything that they encounter in this life. And so our faith is not in our faith. Our faith is not in some specific outcome. Our faith is in God himself, in God himself. And when you think about it, this is exactly how a person enters into a relationship with God in the first place. This is what Jesus said in, in Mark 10, 15. Uh, the, the disciples didn't want the little, the little children to come to him, but Jesus said, to this, said this to them, uh, John 10, 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And so you can't enter the kingdom of God like a child or like an adult. No, he says, no, if you want to enter, you have to enter like a child. What's true of a child? A child has no power, a child has no uh, money, a child has no clout, no intellectual prowess, no competence. They intuitively know, I, don't, I can't meet my own needs, uh, I can't solve my own problems, that's why kids scream, right? They think big people can do anything, and so I'm going to scream and I'm going to just trust, they'll do it. That's, that's, that's the way kids are. We've got a shot, I want you to look at this picture. This is a picture of my daughter. Carissa, the former Chrissy. And if you're here the first time, you're thinking, wow, Pastor Steve sure has a young daughter. That was taken 25 years ago, okay? <laughs> she turned 28 this summer. I have that picture on my, my desk in my office uh, for a lot of reasons. I just love that picture. It kind of melts my heart. But it reminds me also of God's generosity toward me. And so when she was three years old, uh, I would give her anything that I thought was good for her, anything that was in my power to give to her. Why? Because she's my little girl. That's, she's got it. And she felt great freedom to ask me for anything she wanted, anything she needed. I don't know, Dad, can I have an elephant? You know, she, she can do just anything. Why? Because I'm her dad. That's, that's the way it works with fathers, parents, and children. Jesus says that that's the mindset of the person who receives the kingdom of God. And so if you're here today and you've never entered into a relationship with God, maybe you're just checking out Christianity for the first time, you need that type of childlike faith, okay? You don't need to clean your life up. You don't need to achieve a certain level of obedience or get to the place where you think, okay, finally I'm worthy for God to accept me. No, you mainly need to come like a little child, come like the centurion with nothing in your hands to offer God. Just say, God, I can't save myself. I can't get rid of my sin. But I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sin. That's what I want. I want the life that he has secured for me through his death and resurrection. And just like I was with my daughter when she was three years old, just like Jesus with the centurion, God always says, of course, exactly. That's exactly what I want for you. And so if you put your faith in Jesus, if you come to him like a child, you put your faith in Jesus, you will actually become a new creature in Christ. You'll have these new appetites. You will desire different things than you did. You can't anticipate what your life is going to be like, okay? Uh, God will ruin your life in beautiful ways, as they say. And God will put his spirit within you. The personal presence of God, the Spirit will dwell within you to empower you and guide you. God will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. God will say to you, I will be your God. You, you're my people, my people. 
And so that's how you enter the kingdom of God. If you've never done that, I would just beg you, enter into that relationship with Jesus like a little child. You enter the kingdom like a little child, and then guess what? You live in the kingdom like a little child in the sense that you never give up this idea that, God, I need you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And so you don't enter the kingdom like a little child and then expect that one day God's really going to be amazed at how smart I am, at how competent I am, at how amazing I am in and of myself. No, it's always going to be the case that God will be amazed at you when you're like the centurion and you always believe, God, since you have all authority, since you have say in every situation and in every circumstance of my life, then I'm going to trust you. I, I believe if you just say the word, it will happen. And so God is amazed with people like the centurion who had childlike faith. And so the application is really quite simple. And so we're going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to suggest just three simple steps. Okay, identify a situation in your life where you need God to act. Does something come to mind? A situation where you, you really need God to act on your behalf. It's a situation far beyond your control. And uh, second, go to the scriptures and become convinced that Jesus has authority in your situation. So we need to get beyond kind of this vague idea that God is powerful and God has authority in some amorphous, vague way. You need to say, God has power. He has authority in my situation, the situation I'm dealing with. And you get that from the word. And faith comes by hearing the word of God. The word builds our faith. And then finally, you exercise that faith primarily by praying. You, you ask God to act based on it. So if you have a situation, go to the scriptures. And uh, let the scriptures convince you that Jesus has authority over the situations that concern you. Uh, Let me just give three examples. Let's say you have some uh, life-dominating sin in your life. If you are dealing with something that you have dealt with for months and years, you just have to know there's a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that wants to, to thwart what God wants to do in your life. Uh, and he is out for blood. He, he is playing for keeps. He wants to destroy your life. And so there's this unseen spiritual world. If you're going to have great faith, you need to know that Jesus has authority over the unseen powers of this world that are against you. And so you can go to the Gospels and read how Jesus, it says uh, that, that Jesus... Um, He amazed people because he had authority and power to drive out unclean spirits. Go to Ephesians 1 where it says that Jesus has been raised uh, far above. He's been raised and seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Go to Colossians 3.1 that says that you have been raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so become convinced that in your spiritual battle, Jesus has authority. Or if you're troubled over international uh, events, things that are happening all over our world, or the political strife in our country, uh, you need to be convinced that Jesus has authority over kings and presidents and nations. He really does. Well, why would I say that? Well, go to Psalm 2 and see how God laughs when these kings make these pronouncements. It says, God in heaven laughs. Or go to Psalm 46 where, where God says, Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Uh, Read the book of Daniel. 
You want to see if God could, could deal with Babylonian kings? He can exalt kings. He can humble kings, okay? So become convinced that God has authority over all these things that are so troubling to us. Or if you're sharing Christ with someone, you need to know that Jesus has authority to work in that person's life. Matthew 28, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, because I have all authority and because I will be with you always. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so our only confidence in pursuing this mission that God has given us is that the one with all authority is with us. Why would we ever attempt to go to the nations if we didn't go, if the one with all authority didn't go with us? And so let the scriptures build your, your confidence in Jesus and his authority. And then finally, just pray. Don't just gain knowledge. Pray. Exercise this, this faith that God has authority over the situations that concern you. Like a child, like the centurion, simply ask in faith. Now, for most of us, this is not our instinctive response. When I'm in troubling situations or if I'm in, in some circumstance that really could, could have terrible consequences, my, my go-to response is to panic, okay? Panic, uh, catastrophize it, uh, think about all the ways I could fix it or try to distract myself by, by doing something else. We have another option, okay? The other option is great faith. We can really believe in the authority of Jesus, and we can pray. We simply ask and say, God, would you come through here? Would you intervene? And so my, my encouragement for you this week in this situation that's so troubling to you, every time this situation comes before your mind's eye, instead of panicking, would you bring to mind the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus in your circumstance? And would you pray? And keep praying about that circumstance and let God shape your praying. And, and wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be phenomenal if Jesus would look at you and be amazed and say, now that woman, that man, that little girl, that boy has great faith, great faith. Faith moves the hand of God. Heavenly Father, there are some of us here today who are in very desperate circumstances. Uh, there are some who need to know you for the, for the first time. Pray, God, that you would give that person faith, the confidence in Jesus' death and resurrection. I pray that that person would turn to you right now in faith and say, Jesus, I believe. I want life. I want to become a new creature in Christ. Pray that that person would experience life. Now, pray, God, that, that all of us who know you would walk by faith, that we would not be, be caught up in all the doubt and speculation that, that uh, surrounds us. But, God, we would have this childlike faith in your authority. God, you've done the greatest thing. You've borne our sins on the cross. Uh, give us this, this confidence that you still have authority over everything in heaven and on earth. And God, uh, give us the will to exercise our faith. We pray that we would be people of great faith and that we would see you do phenomenal, amazing things in our day. God, may it not be said about us that we do not have because we haven't asked. May, may you not marvel at our unbelief, but God, make us people of faith. God, there's a lot at stake in the lives of uh, many, many of us in this room. And so we want, we want our faith to grow. We want to be people who trust you in deeper ways, in new ways.
Uh, may the word be on our minds and on our hearts. Uh, keep it fresh. Uh, move us to pray and trust you, perhaps in ways we never have before. Be glorified in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.